welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, we have a great pleasure of having someone who is a friend of mine and also one of the premier interior designers in the United States and really internationally. Uh, Alan Tanksley is with us today. Alan has, uh, has his work appeared in Architectural Digest, Interior Design Magazine, El Decor, House and Garden, just to name a very select few. Alan, thank you for agreeing to be on the show and welcome. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm very pleased to be with you and thank you for asking me to talk. Absolutely. Now, we met a few years ago is with the uh, with the Woolworth project, which we'll get to in detail a little bit later on in this conversation. Uh, but I know of your professional successes before we had even met. I know that you've had your firm for almost three decades, but can you give the listeners just like a brief history of how you got started in the industry? Well, of course. Sure. I'm trying to be brief, Michael. I can see you going now. So it's your time. To, you can be as long to, as you want to. <laughs> jump in and tell me to halt. Oh, no. Let's see. So um, I got into the field. Starting out, let's, let's go right back to the very beginning. Um, I always thought I'd be an architect before. You know, I, I, I knew what it was like to be an architect. And I went to school. And in pre-architecture classes, I realized that it just wasn't for me. And it wasn't for me. mostly less for the design aspect, more for the technical side of things. So I was, you know, engineering and weight load bearings and all this stuff. So I um, I was floundering for a bit. And in the same school, did I realize that there was an interior architecture class and uh, a major to take. So I joined that and I excelled in it and did very well. And I really found my, my calling, if you will. Um, and, you know, it was a, a very different education then it turns out i would think typically that would lead me to where i stepped into the business i was going to school out in out west in arizona i was going to live in california uh that was my thing and but i'm from new york and when i did the west coast i realized i really am a new yorker and came <laughs> back here with with not knowing um anybody in the business and i just started talking with whomever would take a call or um, whatever I could do together in, in, in their office. It turns out that someone I met who couldn't offer me a job, like really saw a potential, thankfully, made a number of calls. And back in those days, people wrote notes and had hand things hand delivered and so on. I mean, the level of, of what I, I found to be my, my, my world. So I found myself interviewing with some very high and mighty people in New York City. I interviewed with Angelo Dongia. These names may not mean anything to anybody, but Angelo Dongia, David Easton. Um, and I was I interviewed with, with uh, Mr. Hadley, Albert Hadley of Parrish Hadley, probably the, you know, among the most esteemed of old school interior design decoration. Absolutely. And he, and he gave me a job. And it was just, this is a funny story. He gave me a job to make some presentation drawings for a, uh, project he was working on, or they were working on, um, and he installed me, there was no room in the drafting room, that's what I was doing, installed me behind his very own desk, because he worked standing up behind a drafting table, so he moved into some secondary place, and there I was, this kid, uh, you know, just dumbfounded, doing these probably very mediocre drawings, um, and the project was the, the renovation of 
Gracie Manchet, the mayor's house here in New York. Wow. And, yeah, it was. I, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, in the design side of things. I was just doing some drawings that he would present. Um, now, that project was took place. He was doing half of the place, and the other half, they decided or what, whomever they, they they do who sets this sort of thing up. Uh, I hired Mark Hampton, another very high applying uh, or legendary designer of the 20th century, to do the other half. Well, my role at Albert Hadley without Mr. Hadley uh, came to an end, and there really wasn't any place for me in the, um, in the organization, it turns out. But I was snatched up at the last minute by having an interview with Mr. Hampton. And of course, I told him I was working for Mr. Hadley, and he snatched me up. So I started working for the two of those preeminent designers, really, at that time in the world. And I didn't, as they say in New York, I didn't know from this. It was world I had to really step into and learn very quickly in order to stay relevant. And it wasn't uh, working at Mark Hampton's office in the drafting department, which meant that I was getting exposure to how this business works really from the ground up, literally. Um, and working with contractors and working with designers and decorators and uh, getting on site and designing furniture and doing drawings and just absorbing all the brilliance that that office had to offer. Um, and Mark Hampton was an extraordinarily talented man. So I really cut my teeth at the top of the ladder and um, and I'm very grateful I did. So I, I say that in that venue, I, I really learned the principles of what guides me to this day, even though I don't do nearly as much of the traditional work when we're talking about the eighties and uh, you know, the very high-flying world of the English country house, the Anglo-Franco design and decoration. But, you know, learning the, the classics, like anything else, I'm sure you know this in your business, what, whatever business you can apply this to, learning the good stuff, the right stuff, how to do things, in my case, scale, proportion, um, craftsmanship, um, history, 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 uh, all of these things were emphasized. And... They really became my toolkit. That's what I call it. I have this wonderful tool set where I can go into work to this day. And even though it may not look like the work that was very you know, neoclassical in those days, but still those principles are really what the foundation for my current work is. Um, so after working for him for six years and with him, I had a very good relationship with him and his family. And it was hard to leave, but um, one of my colleagues there, Paula Polini and I, made the job together. I was 28. I think um, I was blissfully unaware um, of kind of how wet I was behind the ears to, uh, to make that move. It was kind of a bold thing. And we just set off and we started working uh, together. Oh, by the way, I finished Mark Hampton's presentation drawings for the Gracie Mansion. So though I wasn't at the presentation, both of my presentation boards were with before the committee from Albert Hadley and Mark Hampton, which kind of ties things together. Um, That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? And uh, I mean, I knew it at the time. And then, of course, as time has gone on and, and, and life has evolved and those people, those they're now long gone, my mentors. And their legend has just increased. So all of this story to me is, is fascinating. My mom loves the story. So if she loves it, then you know, 
for, for a <laughs> If um, mom loves it, it's worth repeating, yeah, right? Mom loves it. I know. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Thank you, mom. Um, so, Paula Perlini and I set out to do a uh, business together, and we really worked in the vein of the Mark Hampton uh, idiom, and we, we had some great success. Um, and at that time, I was growing into the I want to expand my my role uh, because working on the construction, the drafting, the um, you know the, the make building a project is obviously a very very important part of of, of design. Uh, it starts with that, and then decoration really was a, 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 it's almost a separate thing, um, except the integration of the two have to really be considered from the very start, um, and so. I was expanding and eventually I felt, and also my aesthetic was evolving back to something uh, that was cleaner, less traditional. That's also what the market was doing then. So we're now getting toward the late eighties. Um, sure. And, and so that one, and so by the time it's 1993, we have an amical separation and I started my business in 1993. So yeah, it's been a while here. Um, and a number of my projects still remain within that classical, but I was tearing it down and tearing it down. And so was the industry. And so were a lot of my contemporaries. I, I have a lot of contemporaries who went through the same transition and, uh, which has evolved to this day to, you know, various degrees of, of minimizing that kind of decoration. But uh, it was fun to discover what was then absolutely new and not credited with a mid-century modern, which is you know, ubiquitous now. But that wasn't, you know, that wasn't 20, 25 years ago. Sure. Um, and saw, saw the industry change and uh, the shelter magazines take on power. And, you know, it's kind of a heady time to be in the business. So uh, I had a few celebrity clients. It's not really my base, although, you know, it's, fun to done and do some things with, with celebrities. And I've learned a lot on the way, a lot. And a lot of it is, a good deal of it would be, um, let's call them not roaring successes, whether that means client relationships or turn of economics. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting business. Oh, and we're going to come back to lessons learned in this conversation for sure. But, you know, I think it was interesting, Alan, that you had, you really fell into what was the masters in the beginning of your career, which is so incredibly rare. And, you know, your career has evolved now to where you arguably are now in that role of, of, of considered a modern master within our industry. And I know you're too humble to say that, so I will say it. Um, and so I, I'm wondering, because you were, these were your great mentors, do you then now flip that and mentor others entering the business and sort of complete the circle, if you will? Michael, that's such a great question. And it's, it's um, I mean, the answer is yes. So to jump into that, but expand on a bit, it is absolutely essential. Um, and enjoyable for me to pass on my good fortune in, in what I've learned and who I learned it from. Uh, it was a different time. And I was, uh, not to say that people aren't eager to learn, but there was a real emphasis on history. Clients yeah. were edu educatable um, in, in that, not that they aren't now, but um, you know, there's a 
just a different appreciation for a different aesthetic, which really reached back to the past. Um, and, um, and I learned what that meant from Mark Hampton. And sometimes, I mean, I'll often admit to, and happily, that some of my clients know far more than I know about topic X, Y, Z, which is where um, I'm learning all the time. Um, and I don't believe in faking it. Uh, well, I guess sometimes you've got to fake it to make it. But I'm happy when I'm in a collaborative situation and a client brings me a body of knowledge. Um, the people who work with me, I do look to bring things. You know, we have to move fast, and, and it's not a fast-moving business, so we have to keep up with, with it. Um, and every time I can insert some something I find interesting, historically, humor, um, what have you, into the education process, I learned in what I call atelier, and I also like to see say that I learned how rich people live, <laughs> because I didn't come from you know a wealthy set that had all of these social mores and this and that. You have to learn how to work with people who have the wherewithal to do this and um, and and how to move through that. So. Um, you know, I have, to me. There was something that you just mentioned, which I think was was interesting that uh, would love to explore with you. You know, you start talking about the idea of in a different era. Um, you were the one that brought the history to the client, and obviously now in the age of the internet, you'll have the clients and everyone really that does all of the research online, and it almost is depending on that client's personality and or wealth sometimes they they think that because they read it online they're the new expert and so does that is that a challenge that you've seen over the years where you were the holder of that knowledge of that history of really being able to convey that to your client Whereas now the client obviously has all the information at their fingertips. And um, is, it, is it a collaborative experience or does it sometimes become challenging in the fact of, you know, you read it online, I lived it type of thing right. where you have to do it with a bit more finesse, obviously. Um, <laughs> but do you find that challenge? I've been, well, for the last 30, 40 seconds, I've been to jump in. And you're, you're, yes, yes. Well, uh, you, you know, you kind of, you, you're leading me right down to the answer. Uh, it is, yes, I work and thrive in a collaborative uh, relationship. Uh, and there are people, you see what's happened, as you were saying, with the internet and, um, and people getting bits of knowledge or are thoroughly invested themselves in education. Uh, it is de depends on the clients and uh, their temperament and so on, right. as you said before. So in, at times that is wonderful because we can fast track communication um, if they've educated themselves. Now, the downside to some of the relationships is, is that we may have a conversation next time we get together Someone will say, uh, well, I, I think so 3 a.m. on you know, internet, and I've found all of these resources and done this and this. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, it really can become um, adversarial. It can become yeah. a situation where somebody is 
you know, kind of wants to get there first and and um, needs to win. Let's say now this is this is definition of a not great relationship, of course. Right, of um, course. And uh, and I like to and I talk with people from the very start because I've, I've written this, this this these two essays, one on how to what to do as a as a client, potential client, interviewing potential designers. I mean, say. Um, and the questions to ask, and equally important, have I found that it's important that we are interviewing every party is interviewing each other. You want to do? I want to find out as early on information about the client so that I can understand how to approach things. And one of the things that I say is that we are collaborative. We're not competitive. I am your advocate. I am not your adversary. I'm working in your best interest, and sometimes that has to be reminded. Um, but the ideal relationship, the ideal client, and I don't know what I get, is just somebody who knows the process, which because it's a flawed process, um, understands and appreciates the work that goes into it, um, and makes decisions. And those are big aspects. Uh, if I can check off those boxes, then we're really off and running to what's going to be a wonderful collaborative relationship. To everyone's benefit, and you know, and sometimes I just need to let the master go go to work. You know, <laughs> it was stop it, um, stop it with uh, the master stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, I mean, we met a few years ago with your involvement with the iconic Woolworth building, and obviously mm -hmm. we had mutual friends that were involved in that project, and you designed the model apartments there. And you know, the, the, I got to tell you, the way that you brought really what was your modern aesthetic and respecting the, the the history of the edifice that it was such an iconic building the tallest building in the world at one point and the way that you actually played with the facade even with some of the uh, some of the buildings some of the apartments that you were designing um it was really that juxtaposition i thought was magical uh, can you, you talk about that and, and, and how you sort of got to that aesthetic? Because when you start looking at a, a whatever your project is, it's a blank slate. But in the case of the Woolworth, it wasn't a blank slate because you had to take into account the frame, if you will, um, mm -hmm. the outside, the exterior of that iconic building and play into it and make sure that there was part of that was your design. And I thought it was brilliantly executed. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say that's one of my, um, it's a great project for me to have been asked to join the team. And it really did become a team. The developers were, were wonderful um, to stand by me and all that. So Stan Ponte, I'm sorry, I'm referring to someone we know and mutually. Stan Ponte is also um, in real estate and, and highly regarded um, in real estate. And you all work together. Ponte, Stan. I met Stan, just to give you a quick brief on this, I met Stan before he was in real estate. So I saw the transition from how he was describing his early days, pre-real pre estate and pre-phenomenal success. And when he got into it, it turns out that we coincidentally met on a development project where we felt in professional love with each other. Um, he was working with the developer. I was wanted by the developer and we established a great dialogue. Well, years later, 
he and his team, at this point, he's at the top of the pyramid, um, been um, given the development and sales of the Woolworth building. And they were converting the top 30 floors to residential. Uh, well, here is a building that when we came in from Long Island, where I grew up, it was on the it was on the whistle. It was a whistle stop for the tours that we gave to friends and family. It was you always went to the Woolworth building. It's so iconic. So um, just walking up to it the first day and standing there, looking at this phenomenal cathedral of commerce is what it was called in 1913. It has it kind of dictates that you take this seriously, really seriously. So um, yes, there's a lot of detail in there that. Uh, I've incorporated subtly most in, in, in ways because you don't want to do a period 1913 interior. We're selling to an international market. So I had to, I don't have a client per se in this case. So the client is in my, in my assessment of it. These are international clients, art collectors perhaps, and they like to entertain. Um, food is important. Um, and then, of course, aesthetics are are, are, are key. Um, and so I had the opportunity to work and design, as I said jokingly before, design um, to accommodate how, quote unquote, rich people live, which I say that tongue in cheek. Um, and because I had to take into consideration the building, the importance of the building, the opportunity that the potential buyers had to have a piece of this iconic architecture that's a phenomenal opportunity. And so, and also, I guess, for those who don't know the building, as it was built so long ago, it's not a glass sheathed new building, obviously. Um, it has proper placement of windows and walls. And the reason I bring that up is that the Woolworth building offers walls to put art up on. And that was a really important thing. It doesn't sound maybe to some people, but, but if you have a glass box and you're a collector of art, you have nowhere to hang things. So that became part of my story of who would potentially be moving into these. And it, it turns out I have some business in there now, and it that's perfectly describes how that place, uh, apartments, uh, achieve and accommodate that. Um, I had the opportunity to bring in some very special work. Uh, I worked with some people who made a custom wall coming for the master bedroom that was sort of like striated clouds. So you're up in the clouds in this 45th floor I think, apartment. Um, and then a company in England called Clive Christian, very, very high end cabinetry, kitchens, custom closets. Um, in this amount, short amount of time, we created this beautiful walk-in closet for the master bedroom, inlays, brass, and inlays and um and then we went over to a bar that i created off the living room and that's where you're referring to the motifs um on the two side panels leading back to the back wall which was mirrored we took the gothic detailing in the Woolworth, and they laser cut a veneered replication of it so on the sides of this bar which reflects on into the mirror you have this wonderful detailing. If you look over your shoulder, there it is in terracotta outside your window. Then it's, um, it's reflected over here in a sort of abstracted way. So it was great fun to work with that. And really, every time I went in there, it was a privilege to be working on an internationally recognized piece of architecture and social history and so on. 
and it has covered everything. It's done so incredibly well also. And you're right, it was the perfect storm. All those things came together. You know, your brilliant design, Stan had the perfect team. And it has really, and really Ken Horn, the developer who really had the vision for this. Yes. Um, I mean, it oh, yeah. really was such a great team. It was a great team. And um, Ken Horn and, and their organization is, um, they're phenomenal. And they took on something that I don't think anybody had an understanding of how complicated it was to work in this landmark building. So, you know, imagine 30 floors filled with, offices and interior stairs and elevators that all had to be taken out through one small elevator and so this because you couldn't go outside on you know, these construction elevators because it was landmark they put years and years and years into that and i came in sort of halfway through so i saw the demolition and then the rebuilding of the interior of this iconic building so i really feel like i was part of the the team, I don't want to say family so much, but kind of felt that way, especially when we we're at the height of collaboration. Oh, and you know, and, and, and it had to be because it was so many elements there and, and really Ken being the right developer for that, somebody who had a vision like that, instead of building a glass box, as you said, it's so much easier to do that, to really have something where you're mm -hmm. bringing back and, and respect the history of one of the most iconic buildings in, in New York City. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of people would run away from that. Well, and I think a lot of developers, I think I, I don't know the market like, like you do, and certainly by any means, but at this point, I don't know that it would be a viable investment because of what they took they had to put into it. Great. But, the re but the result of that, I mean, if anyone listening has the opportunity to, uh, take a look at the, the, the building and the apartments, much less have the opportunity to, to live there. They are really extraordinarily designed. They're gracious, they're generous. It's, it's almost uh, unknown to me in the current world. It really reflects the luxury of the building. And, I definitely um, agree with that. And you know, you uh, absolutely. Ellen, you were actually sort of touching on this a little bit and really you are one of the foremost experts on color. Right, and you convey a feeling with color, but you've also been quoted as saying that you stay away from primary colors. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you create that so that story because it's a really subtle story, and you convey that story really elegantly, I must say. Um, but tell me how you do that because you use the color and your your color palette is 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 really if you start looking at the overall project and you start dissecting it the color palette is actually quite thin you don't really use a lot of colors but yet you create this magnificent story um and you would think that you use 50 colors and you didn't um so how do you do that so subtly um that's another another good question how do i do it a lot of it this is i mean i guess at this point it's kind of an intuitive like my, you know, when you get a great pair of comfortable shoes or, you know, sweater you love to wear, these things just naturally have evolved as part of my, 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 now my, my tool set, I guess. Sure. Um, in terms of when I was quoted about talking about primary uh, colors and so on, I tend, 
And, you know, listen, of course, there are, are, are pallets for every sort of person, so I don't want to make anyone else wrong on this. No, obviously. Uh, you, know, viv- you know, vivid colors and jarring, what I might think of as jarring colors and, um, and you know, exaggerated patterns or what have you, it have their place, and I've done some work with that, too. Um, I think that it, once any one of these things are done, whether it's vivid primary colors or more subtle, muted, organic colors, you know, the expert in us when we know enough to call ourselves that um, is about the blending and the harmony. I really believe uh, in environments that are soothing and inviting, and that sounds a little cliche, but, you know, there are other environments that really energize, uh, challenge, uh, what have you. But so my palette is a subtle palette. Um, you know, it's all about balancing. And then when you look at a design project, you know, there's a function of the room and then, and but that's, that starts with that. And then um, the furnishing and the placement of furniture, which has to have a logic and has to serve the room uh, and the purposes for it. And then how are we going to make it look the way that we want it to look? And in my sensibility, it tends to be very warm very inviting. Um, the colors that I've evolved to are there, but it has more to do now with play of light and color texture, uh, shades and shadows, lighting. My first quote, that sounds a little arrogant, my very first quote um, in press, but it was, um, I was working at Mark Hampton, so they tapped the, the young and wanted to know what we felt about things, and the topic was lighting. and. I was asked, you know, to say something about it. And I thought I was very clever, but it is true. I said, uh, you know, forget what you've heard about timing. It's lighting that is everything. So it's all, (laughs) this is is silliness of the 26th. There's some more than others, correct? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You get to know that as time goes on. Um, so, So, you know, it's a balance of all of these things, Michael. Color by all means is... It's it, it, it's tricky. Look at and talk yeah. to almost anybody. You know, I want to paint my room, and I go over to Benjamin Moore, and I look at a one inch by two inch swatch, if you will. I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know what to do with those little things. You have to learn. You have to understand. You have to play with it. And still, I need to put up colors to see them. Light plays differently in each room. It plays differently on each wall of each room. Sure. So if we're doing if we're doing something, and we're getting to the point where we're committing to what the color and finish on the wall is, it's a really important aspect. It might cost a bit more to do it, but to put up samples and 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 look at how they play, and because you know it's but so it's, it's a subtle practice, and I think that the expertise that I'm I'm given in the quote that you say there is the result of trial and error, but now I feel very comfortable you know, with the balance. It's all in the balance, really. It, it really is, it really is. And, you know, we've spoken about the Woolworth building and, you know, this this podcast is really talking about global luxury. And I know that you've done projects all over the world. Um, and I know that you're working on something in London now, I believe. And um, tell me a little bit about some of your other favorite projects that you've worked on. Mm. Well, depends on which client is listening to this. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true at all. Um, and I hope you're all listening to this. Um, I, have, I have great relationships 
And I've done so many wonderful places. Uh, uh, I, I guess doing this, the, the, the description of a place that I've loved working at, it, a lot of the joy that I get out, uh, in addition to the creation of what would be a beautiful and well-received environment, is the experience. And the experience with the client uh, can take a great project to be something that's memorable for all of us. And um, there are clients that I have repeat work with and working with the generation next, the children who then grow up and so on. Um, I have a few, I'll just pick one right now. In Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I worked with clients out there and I was beginning of a relationship that I'm now five projects into. Um, and we built a house that looks out over the plains, the buffalo ranches, uh, with the mountains beyond it. And the house evolved to accommodate the family. I do a lot of work with families. And a lot of the families that I love most worth working with are, they tend to be very interactive. They communicate well. There's a real commitment to the family, the children. And in this case, I'm describing not the prince and princess of children's, but the down and dirty attention to that, a great communicative couple. And so out of these descriptions come these real adventures for the family. And I'm talking about how we lay out the house, you know, how you progress through it. Uh, this house is Western without having one antler chandelier in it, which is, um, and, um, but it, it's, it's a project that just organically works into the landscape. Um, the palette there is, is quiet, but the use of materials and the fumed oak and materials that were emblematic of that region. Um, and just the elegance. I love the surprise of building a place when you have an opportunity. You rarely get it in the city because they're you know, prescribed spaces. Um, but this has a kind of rambling adventure as you go through levels and turn a corner and see the light and the view. And all the while working with clients who I adore. And that really, again, is a big part of my favorite clients, as that was my question, my favorite projects. You know, I, I think that I was going to, I was going to ask you this next question. And I think that parts of it were already answered with your answer now. And I was going to ask you how you define luxury and that how that then plays as part of your designs. And as you were just describing this project in Jackson Hole, you used different adjectives. You used the word adventure. You used the word experience. And um, see, I was taking notes. I was listening to you, Alan. I, I, I'm so <laughs> Um, but it's, it's as you'd start defining the word luxury, which is such an ambiguous term that is overused quite a lot and, and what that means to somebody else. And I think it was, even as you were describing this, those, those words like adventure and experience might start building your next answer, not to feed your answer. Uh, but, <laughs> okay, how you, <laughs> but how you define luxury and how that uh, manifests itself in your designs. Well, Michael, that is, as you say, luxury is, is now, you know, the, the go-to overused word and mm. really what does that mean? Um, 
the spoke once meant something that was mysterious to people. And these people yeah. part of the lexicon. Um, what is what is true luxury? You know, to me, the true luxury uh, is first off the ability. One of the definitions of in, in my field would be the opportunity um, to have the wherewithal to work on a place with a team of experts. Um, and of course, this really gets down to uh, at the beginning of this. There has to be enough money in it to do this very expensive process. Sure. And um, you know, there. You know, I've walked into construction sites with a client, and you have 15 carpenters and seven electricians and materials coming in and so on. And I'll turn to them and say, do you know how many college educations you are paying for right now? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's really the, you know, a community of people that these projects can take. That's you know, at the height of them. Um, and there is beyond the expense, and I don't mean to harp on that, it's just a given, the luxury of doing, building something that suits you, the client, and what your prescribed needs are, and what your aspirations are. And furthermore, to be in an environment, and this circles back to what we were talking about earlier about education, education of my, the people I work, that work with me. Um, the shared education that I have with clients, uh, helping the, the, the definition of what will accommodate you, your family, your needs. Every bit of these things are, are absolute luxuries. Um, it is uh, to be open-minded and find out other ways that you have known about what has known about to achieve a great life in a comfort, technological, um, entertaining, what have you. So that alone, I mean, before you get to uh, more physical, more identifiable, luxurious materials, just a luxury to have an opportunity to build something in a collaborative sense, hopefully without too much brain damage, because it <laughs> is a, an, an imperfect process. Um, and to have the patience to understand that this is going to net out something to be extraordinary in your life and for those you love and the people around you i think that's an ultimate luxury in my in in, in the context of what i do um, and and then you can get into you know gorgeous cashmere throws and you know, you know state-of-the-art electronics and all of that but just a big picture pull the lens back um i think an ultimate luxury is that ability in one's lifetime or hopefully many times to build and create, operate, and live in uh, as you see it, or even more so when greater opportunities are brought to you through collaboration. You know, I've always started uh, exploring the idea of luxury in regards to time. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. It's sort of, you know, the wealthiest people in the world that um, we really both deal with on, on, on a regular basis. Um, as wealthy as they are, the only thing they can't buy is time. And mm -hmm. so when you start talking about luxury and as you were describing the project that, uh, going back to the Jackson Hole project, um, where you thought about the family in mind that was going to inhabit that space and mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways your design 
brought that family together. And they wanted to spend time together because they were enjoying what you designed and what you and what you created for them. And mm. in a sense, that's that's true luxury where you are giving a gift that does not that is priceless. It doesn't have a value. Um, mm. and yet it's the most valuable thing. And so in that sort of context and that concept, I always love seeing the idea of luxury as time and um, and, a, and a gift that you give back. So in a lot of ways through your design and really delivering to them um, and that particular family, the sense of spending more time together because they so appreciated the environment that they were in now, I think is a beautiful thing. Well, gosh, it's, it's, it is the beautiful thing. And I don't want to limit, obviously, to just families, and I know you don't either, um, right? Because I design for individuals and couples, and, of course, and, and empty nesters and all of that. Uh, but in, so, in each case, the uh, the luxury of living in an environment that has been custom built, designed to 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 really enhance one's life and to. And a lot of it is aspirational too, um, and to sure. uh, and that can be a, a negative word, but uh, I don't mean it that way. That you aspire to a quality of life, and 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 that becomes a luxurious process. Time is, of course, the element um, that can't be regained. It can't be. It, it it's so valuable. Wasting time is, um, you know, obviously, everybody wants to try not to do that. One of the things that a business such as mine offers, you know, is to take that process and, again, ideally, um, to, in my case, to re relieve people from the time that it takes would might take for them to muscle their way through something they don't understand. Exactly the process. Don't you know? Um, don't know the resources, what have you. It is a time consuming. I do need my clients' input. It is, I rarely have worked with and with a project where it's turnkey, meaning that you know they show up and we haven't met more than once or twice, and then they walk in and live in it. I usually are very involved with my clients, but again, idealizing my description of the of that client. And speaking of time, these the, the everybody's time is precious. There are clients who are very much involved and then you know as they need to be and then move on to other things like their business or their community or their sure. family Absolutely. And they re they rely on their team and if i become part of their team they know that we're doing great work and they're available and so on the opposite of that is someone who really gets in and wants to micromanage the process, which is almost a disaster always. But um, my goal is to relieve my clients as much as we can by troubleshooting, by moving through, using our experience, not taking no for an answer, not from the clients, but from vendors and builders right. and so on, uh, and learning how to solve problems. And I think you can be, I, I know a number of people none of whom would be named, um, who are designers, whose work I don't think is very good, let's say. Um, but they get the job done. And that is so important. And that might lead very much to a lucrative career and so on, because time 
is to deliver something on time, on budget. It's about it is about production. It's no different than production in, in the building process or designing clothes or what have you. You've got to be on time. You have to meet the budget, and you have to figure out how to get it done. And you have to figure out how to be troubleshooters and advocates and so on. We have to be nimble in our business because it's just a, it's a there are so many pitfalls to it. Um, so if I can relieve my clients of time, their time, and leave it for the things they enjoy, uh, be it business, family, travel, what have you, that's a, that's something we offer, and hopefully it works out. Absolutely. Well, that's also that sense of, of luxury because you've delivered time back to them because it's now you're the expert that you have understood their uh, directive and you're, they trust you to sort of get it done. Um, but let me ask you, Alan, it's um, in your career that you've had, if you were to look back at some of your earlier work, would it be a natural progression or would you even recognize your earlier work? <laughs> it's very funny because <laughs> we were just talking about that uh, in the office yesterday. Were you? Um, yeah, it, it's very interesting. I was actually had a, a meeting with Andrew Joseph and Andrew Joseph is, has a small PR firm and we work together and he's a delight and we're, we, they do some of my social media stuff and we're always, talking about, you know, what is the balance you want to put there? Here's a great product. Here's a great room. Here's a this. And it's all, but it's still, my business is a very personal, personal uh, business. People need to get involved with somebody who's, you know, they're going to enjoy along the road. Um, and so we think of some things that are more lifestyle. And one of them that I've decided to do is put in a few of these pictures occasionally of work from 1993, 1988. Um, and yeah, it is not recognizable. It is old <laughs> school. It is chins in English country, um, house, brown furniture, as we call it. And yeah. you wouldn't, I mean, you can fault time. You know, there are some things where you can try, you can find the parallels. But a lot of it's unrecognizable, but it is still my toolkit. These are principles, whether it's English, you know, country rose chintz, or if it's a beautiful, luxurious, uh, plain fabric, it still is all these principles are in there. Um, there is one project that really turned and represents a turn in my aesthetic. Um, and it was a house uh, room we did in a show house in Palm Beach and the show house with most of the people listening are opportunities they usually for the benefit of a cause or an organization. There's a house that's divided in various rooms are given over to designers and the designers do put out their wares and do a nice thing with the idea of helping the organization as well as potential business. And this is a gorgeous room. Maybe I don't know if you include any visuals with any of your Podcasts eventually, but um, there's a real transitory where all of a sudden everything became calm rather than jarring experience of the earlier decades. So, yeah, you would not recognize some of my early stuff, but it's good for the day. Well, it was what you were saying earlier on, right? It was your your studies and your toolkit that you learned from these early masters that you had uh, exposure to, that it was there. It was uh, a part of your learning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could be here without having been there. 
And yeah. of course, you know, the the business itself has changed. You know, there isn't, you, you don't see in general publications, at least, you know, kind of my world, it's, um, you, you don't see a, a reverence for that old school design and decoration. Sure. Um, but then I'm in a bubble, you know, I live in New York City and I'm working in a, a, a in a world that you know, I can't say in Charleston, South Carolina, that's where Charleston is, I think, yes. Um, but they're still not decorating the way that we did, you know, in those days. It's it's beautiful stuff. It's just I evolved uh, out of it. You might get some uh, emails from Charleston now when this airs. <laughs> well, I, I hope so, because, I mean, the thing is, that I do have some clients. Um, I just... We have a place on Beekman, uh, a house on Beekman Place, and it's gloriously traditional. Not as yes, not as grouped up as it might have been 25 years ago, but yeah, give me a call, sure. I know how to make gorgeous. <laughs> I know I know about trims and gorgeous <laughs> curtains and helmets and English country furniture. I can educate you on who Louis Philippe was, and um, I relish that. There you we go. Don't get, we, we don't get a lot of that request at this point. No, um, certainly not in New York City, I would imagine. Not much. Not much. No. Although it's here, too. <laughs> it depends, depends which pocket we're working. We're all in our bubbles, you know. That, that's absolutely true. So, Ellen, you've had an amazing career and a great trajectory. So uh, this is a question that I ask a lot of my guests. What is one of the greatest lessons you think you've learned from one of your failures? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> can I get back to you on it? Um, let's see. One of the, well, let's see. I guess as as with any anything, well, I'm going to start real general while my mind's ticking on anything in particular. Um, you know, listening is the key to all communicating. You know, every 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 job well done is to listen to the clients. Um, and their needs and the appropriateness of this. So, um, and that good, that, that, that jarred my thought on, on my response to this. Um, there have been a, one case I can remember, two cases where my enthusiasm for what I wanted the clients to create far exceeded their ability to, to pay for it. Um, and so, and it, you know, I was early in my career and I had, I saw these opportunities to do really amazing things, um, but I wasn't listening. I was designing to um, a different financial reality, and that's a, that was a disaster. Um, we worked it out, but it didn't come. It, it taught me to listen and to really be mindful early on about all the parameters. There are so many things that individuals to our top projects. So get to know. Uh, get to, I, I need to find out where my potential client sees value. And some people see value in extraordinary moves. Some people pay, some people pay $30,000 to have a room painted in special finishes. Most of the world would look at that and to say the least, not sound, sound value in it. Um, I have to listen. I have to find out where, what they find important. Is family really important? Is entertaining really important? The budget has to be acknowledged. So my lesson was really learned by over-designing a couple of things and kind of paying the price. 
I think that's a great lesson of really learning the value that the client has and what they are valuing. And I think that was, mm -hmm. I think that's a great lesson. And yeah. so I'm going to wrap up with, if you thought that was a difficult question, this is a awesome. question that I also ask everyone. Um, <laughs> what would you like your legacy to be? Um, I would like my legacy to to be a solid, probably very simple legacy of of having been one of the people in my generation who who transitioned from an era that is in fact long gone in terms of design and decoration and certain levels of integrity in society and so on, who bridged successfully into the into the acknowledgement and the creation of what's what's new. Not for new sake, the sake of new, but what's appropriate for our generation, um, and it is, and 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 respected for that. I think my legacy would be that I maneuvered through a time uh, that morphed into the current and situation. That's the right word, current aesthetic, and handled it well and elegantly, and then I did great work along the way. And that you certainly have. And Alan, thank you for the conversation today. Actually, I thought it was a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to know you better. And this conversation was just really delightful. I appreciate your time. You are more than welcome. Um, uh, I, this is terrific. Let's do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> and I invite. I love it. I invite all of our listeners to visit your website. It's alantanksley.com and uh, to learn more about uh, you and your work and your legacy. And uh, to all of the listeners, thank you very much for joining for the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you all. Thank you. Good night or goodbye. <laughs> thank you.